Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. Welcome, everyone, to the Strength Coach Experience, uh, episode number 38. Hope everybody's enjoying the nice spring to summer weather we're having. Uh, Today, I want to welcome John G. Patrick. Uh, John has had a long history as a strength coach in college, professional, and uh, some stuff with the uh, NSCA. And currently, he will be starting a new position at the George Walden Academy in Georgia as a strength conditioning uh, coach John, thank you for coming on, and I'm happy you know we can get this conversation going, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you. No, for sure, I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, uh, it was kind of on a whim, and, and it, everything kind of came together kind of quickly, but uh, it's pretty exciting for sure. So I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, no problem, and I'm definitely excited. And just for everybody out there listening, LinkedIn is the greatest thing in the world if you want to. Uh, you know, reach out to people, network, you know, anything like that, because I think it's still, you know, I don't know if anybody on here, you know, you follow Gary Vanderchuk, but it's still organic, right? I can still, you know, just case in point, I can reach out to John, he can reach out to me, I can go on his profile, his stuff is right there, the things he's interested in is right there, that lines up, and then boom, you you kind of have a connection, right? As opposed to Instagram, you know, there's spam and, and stuff like that, or somebody can have a million followers, and they don't know the difference between your elbow and a knee. So just as a side side note, you know, uh, LinkedIn is, is a great platform. And for anybody out there who's listening, who's interested in how to network or different ways, uh, get on LinkedIn, use LinkedIn, make sure you're posting all your things on LinkedIn, because I think it's the only kind of soldier left, if you will, you know, with the organic stuff and, and there's not too much spam and, and, and you get make, you know, some really great connections, which I have. Yeah, for sure. All right, John. So why don't we just, you know, go in real quick. Uh, let's just start with your background, you know, kind of growing up and, yeah. and then we'll kind of take things from there. No, most definitely. Uh, I'm originally, you know, most people know I'm originally from Northeast Ohio, uh, from Youngstown, Ohio area. Um, you know, I have a lot of pride in, in the state of Ohio in that area as far as uh, being blue collar or whatnot. So really, you know, um, you know, played athletics in high school, obviously just like most, you know, strength coaches, they kind of get uh, drawn into the, the, the strength profession through athletics um, and maybe having a coach that mentors them or whatnot. And that's where, you know, that's where really much I found, you know, pretty much fell in love with strength conditioning. So, I mean, uh, playing high school football, I played baseball uh, also, but, you know, we went to a really small high school and uh, you know, our football team, you know, strength training was highly important. Our sport, our sport coach, uh, our football coach was, you know, in the weight room every day. It actually even started in, in junior high, um, you know, having us trained during junior high and stuff like that. So we had, you know, we had a group of, a small group of guys, maybe uh, 10 or 12 guys in junior high that we, you know, trained after school in a janitor's closet with two of the, two of the football coaches. And uh, we had two squat racks, two benches and, and a leg curl leg extension machine. And that's where, that's where we started training. Right. So just uh, that's where, you know, my love for uh, I guess strength sports and, and, you know, strength conditioning kind of, kind of grew from there. I didn't know, you know, at that time, you know, junior high, even in high school, I didn't know that there was like a profession, you know, like I went to a really small high school. I had no intention of going to college uh, whatsoever, you know, in my, my area, my dad worked at General Motors. Um, so I just thought it was regular, just, you know, graduate high school and you go work at the factory, you know, and, and that's what I wanted to do. But 
obviously my parents had other plans. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where I, I kind of got into college. You know, I went to Mount Union College, uh, D3 program right outside of, uh, it's in Alliance, Ohio. It's still in, still in Northeast Ohio. It's not very far from home. Um, but, you know, when I got there, I didn't know what I wanted to do or be or anything like that. You know, I thought, I thought a personal trainer and, a, uh, you know, a physical therapist and an athletic trainer were all the same thing. My guidance counselor in high school uh, really didn't uh, do a great job, nor did I even, you know, really put a lot of effort into it, right? Because I thought my, my, you know, my path was already predetermined. So when I got there, um, you know, it kind of, kind of broke off and, and I kind of, uh, you know, they had a program there that at the time was, uh, it was sports medicine, but you could take two paths, you know, you could emphasize in athletic training or emphasize in exercise science. And, uh, you know, after that first semester, you know, you had to pretty much pick which direction you wanted, you wanted to go. And obviously, uh, um, athletic training, you had to get some, you know, some practical hours or whatnot. And that kind of, that kind of, uh, got in the way of football practice. Uh, so I went the other direction and went <laughs> exercise science. Right. So, um, yeah, that's where I pretty much, you know, grew from there. I mean, always had a passion for training and, and, uh, you know, through college athletics and, and just growing from that retrospect, I mean, uh, um, everything kind of blew up from there. And, and, you know, I finally, you know, I had a couple of my, the DC at the time, uh, Don Montgomery, uh, was a huge influence as far as, you know, strength conditioning. He, he was our considered our strength coach, even though at D3, we really didn't have a strength coach. They kind of just put a workout on the, on the rec center wall and said, Hey, you know, this is it, go ahead and do it. You know? So, um, but he really, you know, he was one of our professors too. And he kind of guided us, uh, guided me specifically on the path of strength training, you know, that there's a profession for this. And, uh, that's where my interest really grew from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's interesting. You brought up, you didn't really know what it was because, you know, we, we differ a little bit in age, but even when I was going through college, uh, you know, graduate 06 going through Ju I thought athletic trainers trained athletes. I mean, that's, to be honest, that's what I went to school for. I, went to junior college, played sports, you know, same kind of thing. But then I, I went on, you know, one of the little catalogs and I said, athletic training. Oh, good. They must train athletes. Right. <laughs> so I went to school and I'm all giddy. And then we get there and I'm like, wait a minute, this, this isn't the same thing. So I, I just think it's interesting in, in the span, you know, uh, between us, it's still, it, it's getting to be a thing now, but, but it's taken so long, you know, cause even, I mean, I started, only about 11 years ago. And it's that nobody had any idea. Nobody said, why don't you do this? Or why do you do that? It was athletic training, right? And then strength conditioning, same thing. It was like an accident. I mean, I, I always liked working out, right? It was a thing, but I never thought of it as a, like a profession, right? Same to you. Oh, I'm going to be a trainer, I guess. I guess I'm going to, you know, get clients. So I, I always think it's interesting, the dynamic it's, it's still, and I think, you know, on a certain level, it's still not understood, you know, because I, I talk to people and, it's, it's almost like people still don't understand what we do, right? And sometimes you get hired and, and if it's a good place, but sometimes there's a lot of a loose ends, I guess you could say in it, you know, you get hired. And I think a lot of the times it's the coaches or, or somebody that hires you expects you to do certain things or a lot of other stuff, but they don't tell you. And then you kind of end up in issues. You know, I've known I've, I've had the same sort of thing where you, you come in, you know, you're going to write programs, you're going to watch movements, you're going to make movements better. We're going to make the guys better on the field and we're going to, you know, give them some life lessons for after sports, but then it's, why don't you do this and this and this? And so I think that's still a, a an issue, you know, there's no set thing on what we actually do because some strength coaches go 
way above and beyond. And some of it's a little ridiculous. I mean, I knew a guy, you know, in the minor leagues, not going to say any names, but he's with the nationals. He used to cook all the players food because it was better. And I'm like, you sit in your hotel room and you cook 40 people's food. You make tuna salad and all this stuff. So just as an example. So I think that's, that's something, you know, big that you bring up there. I think we, we just need a, an, an overall, you know, kind of, uh, what we do, and this is it, right? For ATs, yeah. for sports medicine, I think there's a little bit more of this is what they do, or at least this is this is a group of things that they're good at. Where you have strength coaches, you have some that do manual stuff, you have some that do FRC, and you know there's there's kind of that still that confusion, I guess, if you will. No, 100. I mean, if, I think our umbrella as far as strength professionals is uh, very broad, you know, and and I think depending on the realm that you're in, you know, obviously if you work at, let's say at a collegiate level, if you're at a lower level institution and you don't have all the perks of some institutions, you're, you know, not only designing workouts, but just like you said, you may be the nutritionist, you may be the psychologist, you may be doing some different things. But the thing is, is, you know, we all know um, you can't master, you can't be a master of multiple tasks, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously that's going to it's going to wear down. Obviously it's going to, it's going to wear thin and your professionalism as far as how much you really know is going to be affected. Right. And that's why uh, it's tough. You know, that's, you know, in, in programming can't be very, very specific just for the fact that you're wearing all these hats and you're going to be run thin eventually, you know, that's, you know, at the upper level, you know, those power five programs, you know, obviously even some mid-major programs, you know, you have your strength coach. It may be something that you only have instead of working with 20 teams, at lower level, you may only have two teams, right? And then, okay, well, we already have a nutritionist, you know, we have our athletic trainer. So now you can be more direct in your knowledge base because, you know, you're not crossing over and crossing these lines as far as these different areas, right? So you can, you all you have to do is worry about programming. All you have to do is worry about, you know, getting guys, you know, you know, quote unquote, bigger, faster, stronger. There's more into it than that. But, you know, you let the dietitian do what they need to do. You let the athletic trainer do what they need to do. And then, and the sports psychologists do what they need to do. And then you can all come together and collaborate, you know, kind of like a high performance model or whatnot, where, you know, like you said, these lower level individuals, I mean, uh, they're run thin, you know, they can't master certain things. They're trying to do, you know, dietetic stuff, but it's really just, you know, going to the menus at the local, you know, fast food place and picking out healthy options is not really truly, you know, assisting individuals on how to educate them, how to eat correctly. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, and even to the general public, I was sitting, you know, I was sitting the other day and, and uh, you know, even I come across people and they're like, oh, you're an, you're an athletic trainer. And you're like, no, no, I'm not. You know, I'm, I, I, this is what I do. Even with my parents, you know, like, you know, this is my 20, I guess my 23rd year in, in this profession. Right. And my parents still don't know, you know, really what, what I do, you know, they're like, oh, how's, how's your, how's your classes going? You know, I'm like, no, they're not classes, you know, like running, running sessions. And I think my dad, you know, my dad's visited you know, a couple of times and, and, you know, he's seen what we do. And, you know, afterwards he's like, he's like, you know, I had no idea, you know, this is, this goes on, you know, this is what athletes go through. Right. So, um, and that's just in the college setting, you know, when you get to, you know, the private sector or whatnot, or even working in a clinic, I mean, it is a little, a little bit more hands-on or more direct, but um, yeah, I mean, you really need to, you really need to, know your role as far as what's going on. Cause you could really get spread thin really easily. And then all of a sudden things become very overwhelming. And with a coach, once you do something for the team, once they're going to expect it time and time again. Right. Like, so it's like, you know, do I really want to dive into this area? Because if I take this area on, then pretty soon it's going to be expected over and over again. Right. And I think sometimes we take off, we bite off just a little bit more. We can choose sometimes. 
And then all of a sudden, now all of a sudden it's overwhelming, right? So um, it is it is a very uh, broad, uh, I guess, profession. And you really have to know which direction you really want to want to be, you know, your, your specific areas is, you know, qualified for, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Classic, classic saying, right? You give a mouse a cookie, glass of milk, right? And I, I feel like that's what happens. And I, and I think to go back to what you started talking about earlier is, I think the, the thing is wherever you volunteer, and I think that's why I, I try to hammer in, make sure when you're, you're in your younger years, or if you're starting out in the field, it's very important to study under a coach or to make sure that the person you go to and the program you go to fits you. And what I mean by that is not, you know, that you get to, it's easy and whatever. What I mean by that is, because I, I thought of this when you were talking before, that funnel, right? If you, if your first intern gig, let's just say as an example, is at Florida, you're going to go to Florida and you're going to see this well-run oiled machine. And as an intern, you're responsible for ice and Gatorades, maybe putting some guys through conditioning, but you really don't get a lot to do, right? Just because that's the process. I mean, I've done it in bigger places and, you know, I'm sure you've seen it too, but they don't really allow you to do too much stuff because that's not your job, right? And it's more of classroom teaching and that's what you get. But I think when you go there first, now it's, okay, this is what I do. So from there on out, I only have this, not small, because again, we have a very complex job, but these are only the few things that I'm going to do. And that's how you live your strength and conditioning life, right? And then somebody will tell you, you need to do more. And it's kind of a shock. Or on the other side, you work at a very low level school, D3, junior college, small D1 with no equipment. And you do everything. I mean, you're doing the nutrition, well, in quotations, nutrition, right? Manual therapy, learning all these things. And then now you're killing yourself. So now when you go out and hunt for a job, you're trying to find compensation because now in your head, every place I go, that's what I'm going to do. And so now you're kind of stuck and then you get somewhere. And if you go, you know, if you go from a small place to a bigger place, you know more than the rest of the group if you will. And you feel like you're working at 30% capacity because now you're only responsible for actually what you're supposed to do. And I think that causes a lot of issues, right? Because you don't know how much to grow because if you're in a small school and, you know, we're taught as a thing, you know, as an intern, you're supposed to work 20 hours a week and not sleep. And you're supposed to do everything the head coach wants. I mean, that's what I was told. That's the boss. Yeah. do everything he wants. And I, I think those are the problems. I think it, it lies deep within that and, and not that there's any problem with that. You know, I earn my stripes. So do you, I think it's, it's great for people to do that. But the problem is there is no set structure, right? If you go to an, a law firm or an accountant, or you're doing a fellowship at a hospital, it's all the same. You learn all the same things and the workload is relatively the same. It's just, you know, I think it's more personality and, and a little bit more leadway. But in our profession, it's if you go to a place with no money, you're going to do everything. And if you go to a place with, you know, a large budget and they really care about it, uh, you know, you end up in that situation. And I think that's always a big shock with, with professional. When I was in college, we had hotel rooms. We did this. We did that and everything was given. And then you go to professional baseball and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. They're going to, you know, people are going to carry them when they're right. not going to have to walk. And it was worse in certain aspects. So I think in order to fix that, it's, you need to, you know, understand where you're going, know where you want to go. And I think it's just examine what you're doing because I, I interviewed Bill Gillespie 
uh, a few podcasts ago, and he brought up a very good point. He said, you become an intern where you want to work. If you intern at a D3, most of the time, that's where you're going to be. If you want to be D1, you have to work to become an intern at D1. It doesn't, there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room in between there. No, I think you're 100% correct. And I think that also deals with uh, the education aspect too. I mean, the school you go to, uh, if you play athletics, I mean, obviously the internship, all that stuff feeds into you're setting yourself up for either a really tough road uh, to go up to the top or you're setting yourself up for a really easy road to get some positions. And that's something a lot of people don't look into. I mean, you know, some people go to school just for convenience. Hey, it's, you know, 20 minutes from my house. It's convenient. I can still, you know, hang out with my friends from high school or whatnot, you know, that didn't go to college. Um, they look at more from that aspect rather than, you know, Hey, is this going to be, it, it, you know, you're building your resume right from the get go, right. Mm-hmm. As soon as you pick a school. So um, that's going to get you in the door. A lot of places, those connections are going to get in the door a lot of places. And also if you play a sport um, you know, if it's baseball or football, obviously sometimes that picks what sport you're going to be working with when you get to the college level too, or the, or the professional level, but you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you're working at D2, you know, if we're intern at D2, it's going to be harder to move up. If you intern at D3, it's going to be harder to move up. Yeah. You'll get a chance. But uh, the big thing is, is I think if you intern at D1 and some people, I mean, you know, some people chase a logo, right? Like they go, Hey, I want to mm-hmm. go, Absolutely. I'm going to go to, you know, this, this SEC school or this big 10 school and I'm going to intern and then I'm going to, you know, then I need to do this and do that. And that, you know, if you want to do that, that's fantastic. You know, I think that's, I think that's going to give you some really good experience as far as networking goes. Right. Because those people are going to possibly move on. I don't know, just like you mentioned a little bit earlier, I don't know how much, you know, uh, task specific uh, responsibilities you're going to have, you know, you might have to watch a couple guys and make sure, you know, they're doing things correctly or whatnot, but, or just like you said, you know, you might be filling up, you know, Gatorade buckets or, or something like that. But, um, you know, a lot of, you're going to get a lot more exposure in those lower level schools and in, in responsibility, but, you know, it's going to be a lot harder for you to move out of that, that little silo that you just made for yourself. Right. So um, you really have to be, I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, initially, you know, my first job right out of, uh, right out of college was uh, I worked for Dick Hartzell. So Dick Hartzell is the rubber, he yep. invented the big rubber bands and He's stuff. Louis Simmons. He went there. Yeah, that's where Louis Simmons so I, I worked for, I worked for Dick Hartzell. He's a Youngstown guy. And we used, he, we used the bands all during high school and junior high. Jump just, stretch, right? Yep. Jump stretch. Yep. So mm-hmm. uh, just locally, you know, and that was, you know, I kind of did that my last semester of school when I was finishing up. And then I worked for him for another, you know, year and a half after that, like doing clinics and going places with them and uh, learning the business. But then it was eventually, you know, well, I don't want to be, you know, what, where's this going to take me next? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's such a pigeonhole little, little, uh, little aspect, you know, and that kind of, that pretty much propelled me into minor league baseball. Cause at the times that was during uh, 99, 2000, that's when, you know, the Indians, uh, Fernando, you know, Fernando Montes, Montes was there and he was using the bands to stretch the guys of the Indians and stuff like that. And, and, that, you know, I met him a couple of times because he came up and in, in, uh, wanted to know how to do like, you know, Hartzell had, you know, like a, like an ankle program and a low back program and stuff like that. And, and uh, it was kind of like I just went in to be an intern in minor league baseball after that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, even though I played baseball uh, in high school, it wasn't like the go to. Right. Like so eventually yeah. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. So eventually, uh, at, you know, 
after about a year and a half uh, of baseball, you know, I started, you know, I wanted to get my master's and pursue my master's. So I started looking, trying to get a graduate assistantship and trying to set myself up for, you know, um, that next step, you know, but like I said, I mean, uh, you know, I think that's a great aspect as far as, you know, my education, because I learned, I got to learn the private sector a little bit. Mm-hmm. I got to learn a little bit about, uh, you know, specific products or like, you know, if I want to be a sales rep or something, that's fantastic. I didn't, at the time I was just like, Hey, you know, I just like training kids, you know, cause we, we ran like pr- classes and stuff, but looking back on it, it gave me a lot of real world experience that, uh, uh, you know, was something different than I learned in school, which, which I think is essential. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a, you know, it's, a, it's great to have that story in there because I always think it's important that we, we set up strategy like everything else. Right. I, I think a lot of times there is no, there's no clear cut path, right. It's I'm going to apply for every internship and this, like right. I said, everybody listen, this isn't everybody out there, but you see it. It's I'm going to apply for every internship and I'm going to, whatever one sticks, especially, you know, if you're a logo hunter, um, I'm going to go there. And then you, a lot of times that's what you learn. And then as you go there, you want, you know, that's what you're used to instead of really laying it out. And, and I think, you know, and, and I love, you know, Eric Cressy, I love his stuff. I've talked to him, but I think one of the things he wrote a paper and I, I don't know, maybe it was in 08 or he might've did some editing, but it talks about his journey. And I always think it's interesting that at 16 years old, he wanted a facility. Right. And then he went, like you said, he went to college because it was close to home, but also they had a very good program. And then he went to, went on to go to UConn and he got the kinesiology because, you know, they have the best kinesiology department in the country. And then when he came out through working and grinding, he had enough money and no loans to be able to open a facility up. And reading that, I'm like, well, that's phenomenal, but nobody's going to do that. Right. And this is nothing against Eric. I love Eric and hopefully I can get him on here. Uh, one of these days, but I'm just saying like, somebody was like, did you read the article? And I'm like, nobody thinks like this at 16. Like, that's amazing. That's what you want to do ideally. But you know, people try to, well, I want to open a facility right after I coach a year and think I'm like, that doesn't work that way. And I think it's also, you know, great with, with the Dick Hartzell story. If you don't want to be in the, in the private sector, go work it anyway. Like I did it and I don't like it. I've never liked it, but I did it a few times. So I think it's important out there. If you're trying to start when you're, you know, when you're at school, when you're, at, you know, the, the term intern, when you don't have responsibilities, go work at a place for three months, right? Go work at some guy's performance place, go work at a college, go to a high school, because you're trying to, and I, I don't think this is random enough, you're trying to identify all the things that you don't want to do, right? Because that way, when it's time to make money and have responsibilities, you know that, okay, you know, touching on minor league baseball, I was in that. At the time, it was a big eye opener. It wasn't exactly what I think, but I did like it. You know, it was the traveling and stuff. That stuff is 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 what gets you, um, you know, with everything. But you know, you want to do that, right? I love college. I always love college. And shocking enough, I went to professional, and I was like, I miss college. Right. But you want to identify the things that you're comfortable in, right? I don't like high school. I've done high school kids. No disrespect for them, but they think they're all professional athletes, and they don't really listen. Not all, but some. But I think it's just very important to continuously talk about you have to plan this out, right? And I think it's also interesting what you talked about with the sports. I played basketball. I stopped playing baseball when I was 11. But I coached baseball because I liked the movements. I got along with the players, right? So it's not all about what you played, right? And you could end up in a sport for everybody out there that you never imagined being in, right? You want to pick a sport 
where you get along with the players. And for baseball, for me, right, you know, baseball has a kind of swagger, if you will, right, a confidence. And the position guys and the pitchers, you get different responsibilities, right? Lefties are kind of weird. Some of them are a little off. Then you have your overconfident position guys. But I like the camaraderie. I like the back and forth, the uh, breaking the chops and things like that. So I think, you know, to your point, and and I love to bring it up, make sure you kind of identify who you want to work with because you're going to live with these people. I mean, when I was in the minor leagues and I was with them every day, I, there wasn't, there wasn't like a six hour stretch where I didn't see them. Right. Right. So you don't want to be like, well, I hate, you know, I don't lacrosse players, right. Nothing against lacrosse, but you know, then don't go work with lacrosse. But I think that's a big, big thing that, um, you know, you talked about that when you were with the Indy, were you with the big league club or the minors? Where, where no, did you I, was guys... in, I was in developmental leagues. So I was in the minor leagues, you know, Straight, had... Mahoning Valley. Yes. I was there with the, we used to go there all the time when I was with the Cyclones. Yep. So it was, okay. it was, uh, I was there with the first year that, uh, the Mahone Valley actually opened up. Okay. That was one of the reasons I went with mm-hmm. the Indians was just for the fact that I got to go back home yeah. uh, to the Youngstown area. So, and that's actually where uh, the, the college team, the Youngstown state actually used their facility too. Oh, okay. Uh, during, My during, friend was the coach there a few years ago. Yep. So the big thing is, is, I mean, just like you said, I mean, I think the biggest thing um, is not to get pigeonholed as far as sports, yep. right? Like mm-hmm. We all, we all love it. You know, my thing is, you know, when I was an intern, when I was a GA, um, yeah, I could have just worked with the sports that I was assigned with, mm-hmm. but it's something that you want to be on the floor all the time. Right. Like, you know, when I was a GA at, uh, you know, I, was, I finished up my GA at, at Georgia Southern to get my master's. And, you know, I had, I think I had four sports um, and I didn't have to be on the floor for other sports, you know, but I was, I was there, you know, just like everybody else, you know, five thirty in the morning until, you know, six. And then I take my graduate work, my classes at night or whatever. But, you know, I didn't know, you know, that's what I wanted to be around. Right. I wanted to learn from other people. Um, you know, you're going to learn everything. You know, you, you can learn all the science in a book and what people are doing. But until you're on the floor, until you're actually seeing things working or how other coaches are programming things. Um, I've learned I learned a lot more from working with other coaches than I do. Actually, I learned the concepts and, and you know, what's supposed to happen. Um, but that's not always the case, right? Like uh, you could write the most ideal program. And, and the thing is, is you can come in and coach goes, well, Hey, you only have 30 minutes. And, you know, so you're like, all right, well, what, what am I going to do? Right. So, but I think, Absolutely. you know, hands-on experience is essential. Um, even when you get to upper level, you know, um, I don't want to say upper level coaching, but even as you get more experience in your career, it's still important not to get pigeonholed, right? Like you still need to go visit places. You still need to go, uh, you know, talk to people and it doesn't have to be people that doesn't have to be large, you know, large programs. It can be the, it can still be the D2, the D3, because you know what, some of those coaches um, know a lot more and have, you know, have to use their resources a lot more. So it gets your brain flowing a lot more, right? Like to get pigeonholed and say, Hey, you only have baseball or you only have volleyball. That's fantastic. I mean, if that's, but you're really pitching, pigeonholing yourself for uh, that next phase of your career. So like when you're an intern, you know, everybody wants to work with football or everybody wants to work with a specific sport, but, you know, work with cheer, work with golf, work with tennis. You know, if you have a crew team, work with the crew team, like be there, you know, because people are going to notice that. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, eventually down the road, it may be something that you look back that some a coach you met or a trainer that you met that worked with those teams it's just another opportunity to open up more resources for you to possibly help you out later on down the road. Right. But it also gets you experience on what teams that you personally, like your personality actually works with, right? Like 
you get along with baseball players, even though you stop playing it, uh, you know, a little bit earlier in your career, but um, you know, it gets you around female athletes. Do you, are you personable with female athletes? Can you communicate with them? Uh, you know, one-on-one, you know, some of the, you know, some of the earliest experience in my, you know, my career, as far as interning was, you know, I had, I had injured athletes. All right. So it may be something that I have one-on-one, I can work with somebody. Okay. And I have to do their, their program while everybody else is working out, or maybe I'll have a group of three people. Right. And then all of a sudden I kind of graduate. And if I do a good job now, all of a sudden I'm, I'm on the floor coaching a group of kids, you know? So it's just a matter of uh, honing your skills and, and what you need to work on and, and accepting criticism. Right. I think a lot of people don't accept criticism nowadays. Um, I love criticism. I tell, I tell all my uh, supervisors, like, you know, what can I do better? You know, what am I, what am I lacking? I don't care if I'm, you know, 23 years old or 40 years old. Like I want to know, you know, what you think, how I need to progress because times, you know, times have changed of how you can actually coach kids up. But um, you know, criticism is essential to growth. And I think it's really, really important as far as that connection um, with, with everything. I know I got a little bit off track, but Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, the biggest thing is obviously, you know, really trying not to really pigeonhole yourself, just working with one or two sports. You know, my first, my first head job, you know, I, I was the only strength coach for, for, you know, 17, 18 teams. So all of a sudden, you know, um, obviously you have your, your sports that are, you know, your footballs, your basketballs that, you know, you might need to put a little bit more time with, but all of a sudden, you know, if you have, you know, you know, 10 golfers show up or, or you know, 20 cheerleaders, you have to bring the same amount of passion that you did with these other groups too. And, and cause those kids will notice it, you know? So um, I think that's huge. I think a lot of people just, Oh, you know, Hey, you know, um, tennis is coming in. So let's just, let's just play around or goof around or, or whatnot and not take it serious. Well, all of a sudden, you know, their, their training is just as important as other sports and they need to, you know, there's some kids that, you know, even though you don't feel as if it's highly necessary, it's something you need to take, you know, just, you know, cause that's, that's the whole college experience as far as, you know, them learning how to, to, to push through things and whatnot. You have that, you know, you have that ability to, to mold them into, you know, um, learning certain aspects that it's going to help them after their playing career. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that ability, again, talking about know what you're getting into, right? Because for me personally, I love being on the floor, right? I could be exhausted, but I also know, it takes a lot out of me emotionally, right? If I have a hard hour session, two hour session, you know, I think a lot of people don't really get that unless you're in the weight room, you're tired because you're all there, right? You're, and, and a lot of times, right? It's not yelling and screaming and sweating, but if you're, I'm a sensory, so I can stand in the middle of a thing. I know everything that's going on everywhere, but my brain's firing at hundred miles an hour. So I think that's a big deal. Know what you're getting into, right? Know your limits. And that's what we talked about what interning is for. Know how long you can work, how long you can push, how long you can be effective, right? Because I'll agree with you, college athletes, especially younger, they know if you're tired, hungry, mad, your energy, they can tell like this. And I've talked about it on numerous occasions. Your job is not to teach them how to deadlift. Your job is to provide them with energy, right? And I've said it all the time. And if you have a a team or a person who comes in and he's at 50% energy, you are now responsible for 150% of the energy because you have to fill in your hundred and then you have to backfill his 50. So this is, it's a constant battle and exchange of energy. So I hope everybody knows it's not just, I work 10 hours, right? If, If you are treating it like that, then 
something's missing, I think, because you should be tired and all your senses should be kind of shot if you train four or five teams in a row, especially when you have the big teams, right? The ones that get involved. Um, And also I wanted to touch on what you said in the beginning. It's important to get involved in teams that you don't, that you like, but I also think it's very important to get involved and make sure that you get experience in stuff that you don't like, right? As well, because you never know again, like you said, uh, when is it going to help, right? When I went to TCU and my, you know, as one of my internships, I knew right away I didn't want to do football, right? I love to watch football, but I knew it, it didn't have that, like, I wasn't able to activate the scientific, really in-depth stuff with football, right? Too much for me. Great to coach, right? Loved all the players. Everything was great, but I knew that. But still, I knew if that was on my resume, it was always there, right? But then I was able to go and work with, you know, Zach Tachan at TCU, who I love as a strength coach, and he taught me so much. You know, the football staff was amazing as well, but there was an angle there, like, like you said. I went there because I knew I was, it was all a football internship. However, it was ran by the baseball and that's what I knew I wanted to do. So I think it's very important map out what you want to do. And, you know, I think it's also reward, right? I'm not saying to, you know, if if you have a sport that you don't like, don't fly across the country, but if it fits what you're trying to do, or, you know, let's just say you, you talk about, you know, staying home, saving money. If you're at home for a break, but there's a college down the road and they te- train teams that you maybe don't like, but it's really not a burden on you, if you will, why not go do it, right? Or if your high school is is there, you know, I've been home for a while in my hometown and yesterday I was thinking about, you know, maybe getting involved in high school. They don't have a strength coach. They've never had a strength coach. And I was like, okay, I have the time, right? And even if they don't compensate me, right? I could get in there and I could help the baseball team and the football team a few hours a week. And that could further, you know, move me along. So I think that's, that's a great thing that you brought up always learning, right? Always continuing to push the envelope because exactly we change the field changes every day. And also you don't know where things are going to go, right? Just for me in general, we're talking on this podcast because I was during quarantine, right? In the way beginning, I was not talking to people. And as a strength coach, I think this is very hard for us, especially because we're so used to your colleagues and your hundred athletes you see every day. And then all of a sudden that's gone. And, you know, there's a lot of energy stored. So I was calling strength coaches, you know, talking on the phone and pacing back and forth. I'm a pacer, you know, with the hands. And I was like, you know, somebody's like, why don't you start a podcast? You know, that way you can kind of keep that camaraderie together as we do this. But I just want to, you know, those things are important. Always understand where you're going, what you're doing, and always have an idea. And I think the word you keep bringing up, uh, John is the pigeonhole. You don't right. want to pigeonhole yourself because it's very easy. If you right. did, if you played football, then you did football. All your internships are football. You're a football guy. I'm sorry to tell you, anybody out there, they're not going to go hire you in baseball. And I also don't like, you know, you brought it up before, right? Master of one, you know, or what's right. the what's the thing? Uh, there's no jack of all trades, right? What is it? I don't know. Master of I'm butchering the comment. I'm just going to stop. But in general, you you can't be a strength coach for 77 sports. It doesn't work that way. You're going to rail yourself thin, right? You can be a baseball person and a football person, but you you have to kind of, and, and not to say you can't do that, but you're every time you add a new sport, right? You're taking away from the one that you're good at. Right. And I think I, I learned that, you know, early on, I was, you know, I, I'm sure you agree as a GA, yeah. you're trying to do everything and you're eating breakfast with the team and you're at practice and you're, you're helping them with schoolwork. You know, you're trying to be that full thing. And then one time we had to do speed in the morning with a softball team I was with. 
And a friend of mine who's a great coach still talked to him and he's a great speed person. And he said, I'll do your speed. And I was like, uh, and I thought about it. I'm like, wait a minute. If he does the speed for me, I'm there. So I'm still accounted for, right? The team will still respect me because I'm there. It's not like I'm not doing anything, but I can offer them an A plus speed training session where I'm about a B and then I can concentrate all my efforts on what they're doing in the weight room. And it's a win-win and I don't have to kill myself now. Now I don't have to stress about the speed stuff and the weightlifting. So I think, like I said, great points with that. Don't pigeonhole yourself and, you know, try to get us as much experience as you can, but also have a plan, right? Have a plan of what sport you like and where you want to go and, and just kind of, you know, be up for anything, right? I think it's great. You brought up, you know, rugby and crew. I did that a few times and I never even watched it or saw it, you know, and then you start working with it and, to anybody out there, if you want to work with strong athletes, crew athletes, and rugby, oh, my God. I mean, I was at a facility once, and some guy is about 6'5", 280. There was like a Vertimax sitting there, and he jumped up in the air and hit the 12 thing and landed and started smiling, and it was amazing. But like I said, that's just an example of you you never kind of know what you're going to get. or And don't, 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 uh, don't limit your opportunities, I guess is what to say. No, 100%. I think, that's, I think you bring up some great points and, and just reiterate some of the things that I said. But it, that even goes with uh, – you know, you know, the delegation of power aspect, like you said, you had somebody that, you know, you knew they knew speed training. It could take a little bit off your plate. You would still be there. And that's something, you know, I've been a director at a couple of institutions and, and I've had a staff and that's how I kind of get some buy-in from my staff too. You know, I've been on staffs also where, you know, the director or the head guy said, Hey, this is the workout. This is what we're doing. And you had no input, but, and after a couple of times of doing that, I'm like, you know, when I become a director, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to delegate some power to some individuals. They're going to be, you know, Hey, this is my plyometric guy. This is my speed and conditioning guy. This is my mobility guy. That's your area. You are, you need to be the expert in that area. I'll do, I'll do programming or whatnot. And then we all come together and we're cohesive as a unit. Does that make sense? So uh, that, that worked out really, really well for me. Cause I, I was a head strength coach at Youngstown state for a period of time. And uh, that's where I really put this mold together kind of. And uh, it really worked out really, really well. Cause now all of a sudden I don't have to worry about, Hey, what mobility are we doing? What, you know, what's the warm up that we're doing, you know, speed and agility wise, what are we doing? You know, I can just focus on things in the weight room uh, or even, you know, administration, administrative aspects, especially when you're, you know, when you're a director, you really don't know, you know, you, when you're, when you're on the lower end of the, the spectrum and you want to become a director, you think it's all, you know, great and grand. But then once you get there, you have a lot more duties than actually training athletes, which is fine. I mean, it, it gets you ready for, you know, administrative aspect if you ever get a chance to do administrative aspect, but to have individuals underneath you that you can delegate things to, and they can be specialized in certain areas. And uh, you just at, you just tell them, Hey, this is what we need to work on. This is what I want to try to, you know, try to work towards this off season. And then all of a sudden that starts com communication with everything, you know, and I think that's essential because all of a sudden now you have, your staff members, they're going to stay with you longer, right? They're not going to look for other jobs just because they have a focus and a meaning behind what they're doing, right? Like when you're an intern and a coach goes, well, hey, this is the workout, implement this. And all of a sudden you're going through the workout and you're like, well, why are we doing this? Or why are we doing that? And you don't put as much effort into it, right? Like at the first, you know, the first couple months, you're like gung-ho and you're like, yeah, let's do, you know, four sets of 10 on box jumps or something, you know? And then eventually you start reading some stuff and educating yourself and you're like, why are we, you know, why are we doing this? You know, especially, you know, in certain situations. So all of a sudden, you know, you don't put much, a lot of effort into thing because you don't feel included on stuff, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't feel part of it. Well, 
that, those are things that I learned through my internships and in my experiences and even being <clears> assistant. And then when I became a director, I'm like, Hey, like I want this staff to be, you know, cohesive, a family depend on one another. And if we fail, we're all failing. I'm not, I'm not just taking the blame. That person's not taking the blame. Like we're all going down together. That's, that's the way it is. And that's something, you know, everybody kind of brought different things to the table and it, it really educated me. I didn't have to go out and look for, uh, you know, continue education or visiting other schools or something because I had staff bringing stuff to me and going, Hey, this is what I learned. This is where I visited. So instead of everybody, you know, going, you know, let's say we went to visit Ohio state. Well, we would go, you know, all five of us would go to Ohio state. Well, in, in the end run, I would go to Ohio state. Another person might go to Penn state. Another person might go, you know, uh, you know, to Ohio Wesleyan or something, you know what I'm saying? So we all split up. And then once we got back together, we could communicate what we learned from those different places instead of just going to one place. And, you know, cause if you, if, if your whole staff visits one place, it's usually one or two people on staff that are actually speaking. And then, you know, you have two or three people that are just, you know, looking at facilities or just, you know, hanging out. They're really not asking questions, you know? So I try to give everybody some type of responsibility that way they're engaged. Right. So that grew, that, that, that followed me a couple other places too. But I mean, um, I think that's huge as far as delegation of power. And now I know that I have someone on staff that knows more than me in a certain area. And I don't feel bad, you know, not, not being able to be there for a certain thing or, or something like that. They can, I know that they're more than capable of handling those situations. So I think that's something you don't see nowadays. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of guards their desk a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. they want to put in their, their 12 hour days. They want to be there all day. They want to be, Hey, this is my program. Uh, they want to, you know, pound their chest or whatnot. And, and, uh, you know, it's something that you just have to, you know, really, uh, you know, really kind of let go of your ego a little bit and, and say, Hey, you know, this is, I'm doing everything that I can do. And I want everybody around me to do the most that they can do to, to benefit this program. So I think a lot of people, a lot of people lose track of that just because, they say, hey, you know, I'm the strength coach at X, X, Y, and Z SEC school. I'm the head guy, and this is my program, right? And, and it just doesn't, in the long run, it's just not beneficial to the people around you either because it's your goal as far as a, a director to be a good mentor to those individuals because you want those individuals to move up and, and aspire to, you know, be a director or whatever their career choice is. I've never met anybody that says, you know, I just want to be an assistant my whole career. I've never, you know. I, they're not, they're not going to be on my staff. I'll tell you that. Cause I'm not going to hire them. Right. Like I want interns that, that go, Hey, you know, I want interns to be GAs, GAs to be assistants, assistants to be directors and, and so on, you know? So um, a lot of, you know, if I do meet somebody that goes, Hey, I just want to be a, an assistant my whole career. Um, you know, you kind of have to talk to them a little bit and go, Hey, what's, what's your passion? You know, why is this, you know, and that, that's a thing too, is, is, you know, you know, after, I think we all go through stages as far as this career goes, you know, I, there's like mm -hmm. an educational stage at first where you're getting your foot in the door and you want to learn everything. Yep. And then there's a stage that you're like, well, now, you know, now I've learned everything. I want the power. And then after the power phase, you're like, I want compensated. And then after that, you're kind of like, I want stability, you know, and mm -hmm. then it kind of flows like that. And, and you know, um, you know, I don't think people really realize that. But the biggest thing, it's not about, I mean, because to some people, it's how much money they make. But to me, it's the longevity of how long you can stay mm -hmm. uh, in the profession. You know, like you see so many, co I, I know I won't be a strength coach when I'm, you know, I don't know, 
55, 60. It's probably not going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's not many guys out there. Um, but I know that if I could, you know, I'm 44 now and I've been in this since my 23rd year. And uh, yeah, I've had some ups and downs. I've, I've changed positions. I've worked in the private sector, but the thing is I'm still in the game, right? Like I find that is uh, more gratifying than anything else. I'm still helping student athletes. I still mentor them. Uh, I still have student athletes from, you know, with 10, 15, 20 years ago that still reach back and, and ask questions and stuff. So that's a huge thing, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, the big thing is, is really finding, getting back to what we talked about earlier, really finding your, your niche. I mean, working with teams that you like, that you don't like, but really finding what really solidifies you and what makes you happy. Uh, because eventually there's going to be a point in time that you're going to get to through this, these different phases of coaching that you're going to question why you're in this profession still, you know what I'm saying? Whether it's, you know, Hey, I want to have a family. I want to spend time with my family. I want to make more money. I want to own a house. Like there's going to be something not dealing with, uh, you know, athletics that's going to pull you away and question you. Hey, is it really worth me continuing down this path? You know what I'm saying? So um, that's something that people need, you know, you need to be prepared before you get to that stop, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and I just want to go way, you know, in the beginning you talked about, I think that's a great uh, kind of, um, we'll talk about the, the levels of grief too, because I love that. I think I'm going to put that in a post. Uh, but the in the beginning too, yes, when you run your staff, you know, everybody out there, that's how it should be, right? It, you, you, you're at the top, right? You're the guy, right? But that ego, right? I've, I've talked about it. And I think ego is, ego is the best and worst thing in our, you know, in our profession, right? I, I read a quote yesterday that said, jealousy is the only thing that eats the, eats the it's the only illness that, that eats the person that has it, meaning that, you know, if you hold jealousy towards something or somebody, it's going to affect you as opposed to whatever. But the point of that is that the ego is great, but also you have to delegate. And I think that's a great point, the way you do that. And I, I truly respect that. And I think that's a model that needs to be more placed because now if you're my boss and I have a say in all of my programs, then I feel involved. Right. And I think it's great on, on another standpoint for the athletes. If you assign one of the strength coaches as the mobility guy, now all my athletes go to this person for mobility, because what I've seen in my career, and I'm sure you've seen it too. If you have a strength coach or an AT, cause this happens too, we blur those lines. If you have a kid that has an injury and as an AT, maybe you know some annual release, maybe you know some FRC, you'll help them and then you'll see some jealousy on the other side of the AT or the other assistants because everybody doesn't really have a set thing as opposed to, I'm not feeling too good in my 40. Okay, well, go see so-and-so. That's the speed strength coach and there we go, right? Or if you're in charge of mainly the weight room programs as the head, your guys are going to come see you. But I think that inclusion is great because, you know, I, I just bring it back memories and, and, you know, you go to a place, you get a program, you're all gung ho with a new place. And then three, four months later, I think a, that what are we doing? And B for me, it's been your athletes start to ask you why, why are we doing this? And then, especially if there's problems and then you're faced with an internal conflict of, do I really tell them that this isn't right? Or do I try to put on a, you know, the used carsman thing and try to sell this to them. And for me and my entire thing up and that has always been my biggest downfall. I don't think it's a downfall, but I just don't have the heart in me to like start lying about stuff. And, and, you know, in professional sports, that happens a lot. Why are we doing 
I'll just, you know, three sets of 12 in season of bench press in right. season. Does this really help? And I'm like, no, you know, it doesn't do anything. Maintenance is garbage. And, you know, I didn't say it exactly right. like that, but, but I think those are the things where, you know, little things like that, where you have that ego and that, that delegation, I'm the man, right. I'm in the power. It, it starts to leak down. And then eventually we have what you talked about before, I'm not motivated anymore as a coach because now I'm just reading your piece of paper that I don't understand and you haven't explained to me or allowed me to have input yeah, in. You don't, you don't believe in it. You exactly. Don't believe in it. And, yep. you know, and it's not, you know, both of us are very, I think we're very realistic individuals, yep. right? So if I don't believe in something, I'm, you're automatically going to see my body posture. You're automatically going to see my face. Mm-hmm. And then eventually words are going to come out and you're probably going to not, not like the words. And then all of a sudden we have an issue, right? Yep. Like it, it is what it is. Um, but I'm very similar to you. I don't like, I don't sugarcoat things for my athletes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're, they're there, they're with me on a daily basis. And you know what? They understand that. And they're going to come to me more often to get answers, you know, to get answers, you know, on my belief or how I feel about something, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's huge because it gives me, uh, it makes me feel like, you know, I'm being used and that I can help them in a certain manner. But I think that's a big thing is when you start sugar cooking things, you know, sugar, you know, sugar coating things or whatnot, mm-hmm. they're going to find another, they're going to find somewhere else to get answers from, you know, yep. whether it's from social media or whether it's from another coach or, or something like that, you know, but, um, and to pick up, you know, you brought up the thing, you know, I, I, we spoke a little bit earlier about me delegating power and each, everybody on staff having a specific task, uh, sort of say, and what happened was, is, is, you know, if people keep coming to me and they keep coming to me and saying, Hey, you know, I want to improve my 40 or, Hey, I want to get, I feel, you know, my low backs bothering me. And it's not the area that I'm in charge of. I send them, you know, Hey, I coach, I need to get more flexible in the hips. Okay. We'll go see coach. So-and-so. Well, all of a sudden, if we have a majority of people going to see coach, coach so-and-so about hip mobility, all of a sudden he knows, well, Hey, this is something we need to work on more because obviously I didn't program that or I didn't think of program that in there. So it kind of, it kind of auto corrects what's going on, you know, instead of everything coming to me and and then I have to tell them the student athletes are going right to that individual telling them what's going on. And then that's something we need to improve on the program. And then when we collaborate back together, he comes and goes, Hey, yeah, you know, I had these five athletes. They talked about hip mobility. That's something we overlooked in the program this time you know, now I know I need to improve on those, those qualities, you know what I'm saying? So it, yeah. it's kind of like a self-education aspect and kind of like a, uh, in the moment evaluation, because now you're getting real feedback, uh, from the people you're actually working with. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. It, helped out, it helped out quite a bit. It, it gets, and then all of a sudden you have athletes that are ag- actually communicating, right. They're coming to, they're going to talk to somebody rather than texting them or whatnot. And I think that's, you know, if you're having those kind of conversations and kids aren't afraid to go talk to somebody, now that's building even more qualities that you're looking out of a leader. You know what I'm saying? So it makes things more personable from that aspect. Absolutely. I, I think couldn't agree more. Authenticity. Uh, I'm the same way. Uh, I'm going to tell you how it is. I mean, I, not that it was right or wrong, but I had kids, you know, throwing 85 miles an hour from the right side and they're like, oh, to make the big leagues. And then they come in all high and mighty. And I would say things like, do me a favor, go home tonight turn on ESPN. If they bring one guy out of the bullpen that throws 86 miles an hour from the right side, I will do everything in my power to get you to big leagues. But it's, it's a big, 
it's authenticity, right? Uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a psychologist that I love, says, don't say anything. Don't say anything that isn't true or makes you weak. And not that he means you should be pounding your chest. What he means by that is say what you mean, right? And I feel like for me, that was with my athletes. You know, you learn, you know, when you're an intern, you're nervous. But when you do those things, I think it's very important when you're authentic, right? Everybody out there, this is your biggest thing authenticity because those are the kids who are going to call you 10 15 because it's happened to me too just like you talked about what do i do next right right and they're not even in sports anymore i did this i worked at a law firm i was an accountant what do you think of this i want your advice right and that authenticity there's nothing better than that but you have to start that out early you have to tell them you know what's what's going on right now but also, you know, you have to be careful and you have to know what you're doing because you have a kid on a team and you want them to play well. We're not talking about ruining, you know, going around ruining people's dreams, right. but we want them to understand the reality of things, right? I just use pitching because it's a thing, but if they throw 89 and they think they're going to get drafted in three years, you don't, you know, put a hole in their raft, but you explain to them there is a long shot, but I believe in you. And then here's the steps to the best of my ability to get you there. Right. And I think that is where we have to do it. And I also love what you talked about with, if you delegate your things to other coaches or you have a community, right. We're supposed to be a group. If you have guys going to somebody a lot for one or two things, that communication's there, right. Now we can fix the bugs, if you will, right. In our, in our programming. And I think, the more authentic you are at the top to both your coaches and your players and the better you spread out your, you know, your um, responsibilities, I I think it just makes, makes everything easier. Right. And I I think that's what you, you know, you talked about, I think you can do this to 55, 60, if you continuously delegate responsibilities and you, you continuously move. I think the, the bad rep we get is if you're, this is my desk and this is my office and that's my name on the door and you're, and you, this is my program and you keep them in a safe in your office and you treat your interns, you know, like they're garbage. I, I that's why I don't think there's longevity. Right. And I also think if you created a camaraderie and not that it is, cause you know, as much as I do, it's all cutthroat. I think it would give us a little bit more job security, that whole, I just was here for 10 seasons. We did very well. I don't care. You're fired. That might be a little easier if we, you know, if we can, if we, excuse me, transition into what you're talking about, delegate, be authentic, but, you know, just be an authentic person, right? right. When you come into my office or when you see me, you're, that's what you're going to get. Right. And I think sometimes, and then, you know, if you're too authentic, this happens a lot. And I've noticed it too people don't believe you're that authentic, right? You come in and you just say what you feel, right? And you're you. I did that with the Mets and it wasn't received, right? It was, we have a meeting at 6 a.m. I'd get there at 6, 4, at 5.40 and I'd have flip-flops on. Why do you have flip-flops on? Well, because we don't have to go outside till seven and it's, you know, 5.40. Why would I wear a sneaker? What's the point? And then it's, you, you start to get it. You need to come here earlier. Why? So I could sit in the office and play Tetris. You know, there's these little things, but just like I said, be authentic. And, and I think those, the, the being able to establish the pecking order is, is great. And it's not just for strength and conditioning, right? Yeah. They talk about it in business. That's why business is successful. The CF, the CFO, you know, the CEO hires the CFO because he knows that he's going to be able to delegate things that in his way and communicate, right? Successful companies don't go into the ground because uh, if the delegation isn't there. 
100%. No, for sure. So I just, I want to go into, uh, just change gears a little bit. Some of your philosophies you used, uh, you know, in your coaching career to now and just some of the things you use with your teams and, and what you've had success with. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, initially when I first was in college, you know, when I was first introduced to the whole strength aspect, I mean, I was, I was a huge Olympic lifter, right? Like, um, my mentor was a huge Olympic lifter. They competed in Olympic weightlifting. You know, I thought it was the, you know, that's what you had to do, right? Like, I thought, you know, you know, you're trying to, you know, everybody had to fit that mold. And eventually oh, yeah. through time, the first thing you learned. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's all I knew, really, you know, so I had to educate myself and you know, the biggest, the biggest, I guess, change of philosophy is when I went from, because I was a GA and then I went directly to being a head strength coach. Oh, wow. Which, okay. Um, which was a little overwhelming. And I think I really lost out on working for somebody and networking and working under somebody, right? Like that's where you get your, your connections and kind of your direction, right? So I went to be right, right to be at a head strength coach. And all of a sudden I have, you know, and I didn't, I had like one intern to help me out. And all of a sudden, I was working with multiple teams, right? Like 17 different, you know, 17, 18 different teams, you know, male, female, different body types, everything. And all of a sudden, you know, all I knew was Olympic weightlifting. And I'm like, well, am I going to Olympic weightlift, you know, the tennis players, the cheerleaders, like, that's all I knew. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So all of a yeah. sudden, you know, instead of taking a, a square peg and, and shoving it into a round hole and making these athletes have to do these things because some of them weren't built to do that stuff and some of them didn't need to do it. Um, all of a sudden my gears, you know, started changing to looking for, you know, different, different training modalities or aspects. Right. So, um, at the time, you know, I was in, I was in Jacksonville, Florida and, um, there's a strength coach for the Jaguars, uh, Mark Asanovich, uh, who is, was a huge high intensity proponent, right. Use mm -hmm. machine base, use free weight, but very big in the high intensity scheme. Um, so I actually volunteered and, and worked like OTAs. I would go early morning. They'd start training at, at 4.30. Like, we'd be there at 4.30 in the morning. and uh, Yeah, everybody out there listening for the NFL, it starts at 4.30. Just anybody <laughs> thinking about I've, – I've tried to tell people this. 4.30 is their time. <laughs> like, we had to get there early because they were just training in the morning. And uh, the, way, the, way, the way the weight room was set up was, you know, they had, like uh, – it was just machine, a lot of machine-based. So, they had, like, a pre-exhaust, uh, you know, row – they had like a lower body, like a push pull or like upper body push pull row. And they had a lower body row and then they had some free weights. But, you know, for OTAs, our, our main thing was pretty much injury prevention. Uh, and it was also efficiency, right? So uh, Coach Asanovich was really big into uh, training the neck at that. He's, he's still a, a, you know, huge proponent of training neck. So he would, you know, guys would come in. They're supposed to be already warmed up. He would do like manual neck with them and the, the neck protocol, and then they would just send a guy, a guy would have a sheet and they would just go down the row of the machines for the day. So it took, you know, they'd go uh, one to two, you know, uh, sets to failure on certain machines, depending on the repetition range, you'd record it on a sheet. And then at the end, they would do some type of grip work, took like 25, 30 minutes, and then they're out, right? So it totally opened myself, uh, my mindset to different training modalities, you know, mm -hmm. manual resistance, machine-based training, different rep and set uh, protocol and schemes for free weight stuff. Um, he wasn't a big proponent of Olympic lifting just because um, he considered it dangerous. Right. But then also for the athletes he was getting in, uh, you know, he was getting individuals from, from across the country that trained different ways. And for him to stop uh, what they're doing and try to educate them or re-educate how to do an Olympic lift was, was a waste of time. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, 
some guys, you know, and, and you'd get some, you know, you get 11 year veteran that's all banged up. Are you really going to have him do, you know, certain Olympic lifts, right? Especially if he, has, he had just had wrist surgery or if he just had elbow surgery, you could do variations, but it was just, you know, at the time it just wasn't feasible. So, you know, we would go back forth and, and, and he would discuss things with me as far as the anatomy and how to do things. And, and it kind of opened up my mind as far as different, you know, those different training modalities. So when I went back to work my regular job, you know, I could do some manual resistance stuff. I could do some pre-exhaust stuff. We only had free weights, but it, it, it made me understand, you know, different sets and repetition schemes and how to lay out workouts a little bit differently, just using the free weight stuff. So I kind of, you know, he was a big, you know, for four years, I helped him out while I was at Jackson University. And um, it, uh, it helped us, you know, really use our facilities too, because in our facility was very low resource, you know, like we had, we had uh, four, you know, we had eight Olympic platforms, um, eight half racks, some dumbbells, and that's all we had. So like for accessory work, you know, we'd, we'd have to do some manual resistance stuff. Uh, we'd get some towels out, do some curls, do triceps, like stuff like that, just to work on, you know, hypertrophy and, and some different things. And it would actually help pre-exhaust some muscles uh, so we could speed up the workouts a little bit too, because we were, we were, you know, it was like a factory, one group after another uh, throughout the day was, was pretty time consuming. So that kind of opened up my, my mindset as far as training goes. And then, you know, I had an intern come in my last year there who I'm still really, really good friends with. He was the best man at my wedding, uh, Willie Danzer. And, uh, he came in and he opened my, he opened my thought process and I knew about West side barbell. I knew about the conjugate method. I was just so hesitant mm -hmm. to try it because the game, you know, all the numbers we we're getting and all the performance gains we we're getting, I didn't want things to just fall off. Right. Like I didn't want, you know, performance to drop off. So I was afraid to, to using these different concepts uh, that I used in my own training, but he, he came in and he worked under a, a strength coach, Ryan Sizik, um, who's part, you know, he's pretty much works with Tom, Tom Belinsky and, and, you know, Buddy Morris and, and those individuals. So they kind of, you know, he kind of changed my philosophy a little bit and, and, and understood, you know, the conjugate method. I started training that way a little bit. Um, you know, we did some Olympic variations, but we mostly did a lot of plyometric, a lot of med ball throws, uh, a lot of sprinting, a lot of sled pushes. And then we would go in and have our, you know, our high intense days um, or I guess, you know, our intensive days and our, our less uh, intense extensive days. And we started training athletes that way. And pretty soon, you know, athletes enjoyed training a little bit more because they didn't have to worry about, you know, um, learning, you know, training was more consistent because we didn't have to take downtime to teach certain Olympic movements or, or, or something new. We could go in and we could do a jump or a throw or, or, or push and uh, we could mimic those, those movements pretty easily. So training was a lot more fluid and there was a lot more variety. So instead of really, you know, using a specific philosophy or whatnot, all of a sudden I started, you know, really, looking at the athletes movements in general and picking movements specific to those needs. So I had, you know, I had movements that I wanted them to do, you know, I wanted them to have, I want them to do some type of knee bend. I want them to do some type of hinge, you know, if it's upper body sport, you're going to have them do some type of horizontal, you know, press horizontal pool. Um, like I had movements I wanted to do, but I wasn't married to exercises, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, if someone came in a really low training age, I wasn't afraid to, to goblet squat them or, you know, afraid to do something like that. Like I wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have to, to back squat them or front squat them. Right. Especially if they had um, some type of muscle dif dysfunction or something, uh, a movement function, you know, 
I didn't have to, uh, you know, I didn't have to deadlift everybody with a conventional bar. You know, I can do trap bar now or do something different. Right. So it became a lot more uh, movement specific, I guess. Um, or, you know, I really, I, I really hate the term sports specific. I like mm-hmm. more movement specific. Right. So um, that way I could look at the exercise, you know, let's say, you know, you know, and, and I could pick certain things and, and have a progression based off those things. And I, you know, I really don't cookie cut programs. Like every time I program something, it's, it's new for that year because you're going to have kids that come in that are a totally different training age, um, totally different experience, you know, the, what they did during the off season. So you can't really put them back in that, that same cookie cutter, you know, program again, right. Where there are some coaches that just, Hey, this is our freshman class. We're going to do this freshman program and, and go from there. There's also coaches that, you know, uh, pick rep schemes that are, you know, um, already predetermined, like, you know, uh, when there's five, three, one or APRE or like certain, certain aspects like that. Uh, and they're going, Hey, these are our freshmen. They need to develop. So I'm going to put them in this five, three, one program. So they just copy something out of the ebook and put their athletes on that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not about that at all. I'm about pretty much designing something from the ground up and really making things progressive in nature. So now I know, Hey, this freshman class did this routine and then once they move in, depending on, you know, our testing data, um, what do they need to do next? You know what I'm saying? So I'm always trying to progress things uh, evenly throughout their career. So I wouldn't say I really have a philosophy. You know, I'm pretty open-minded to, to any kind of training. Um, the thing is, is, you know, what's the training age of the athlete? How is it going to fit? Is it efficient? Um, you know, I still teach Olympic lifts depending on the sport. Um, it really depends on, you know, is the person ready for those movements, right? So um, just from that aspect, I mean, I wouldn't say I really you have a philosophy. I just try to cha- train things specifically because in the college setting, you're like, you know, some coaches want to train two days a week. Some want to train mm-hmm. three days a week. Some want to train four, you know, some kids want to get extra work. So all of a sudden, all, you know, you, if you try to stick to a schedule or something that, that's specific, it's going to get messed up somewhere down the line, right? So um, so I really try to, you know, examine that, examine the, you know, the, the, the aspects as far as, uh, what the athlete's strengths and weaknesses are and, and what, what the reoccurring injuries are for that sport. And then try to reassess that and really give them some type of, I, I, I try to say, make certain areas bulletproof, right? Like, you know, if you're a baseball player, um, you know, you have to be mobile, right? You have to have good thoracic mobility. Um, you have to be able to bend and move, but, there are going to be movements that, um, you know, like for our position players, I'm not afraid to do like overhead movements. I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to do like a half the landmine. I'm not going to do military press them or anything like that, but I want things moving on a certain plane and they have to be proficient before I move them to something else, you know? So, uh, and they have relative, like they have some, like uh, some goals as far as like uh, percentage, you know, body weight compared to uh, a percentage of body weight to weight ratio that they have to meet before they move on to their next stage of training, if that makes sense. So, um, but other than that, I mean, I'm pretty open to anything. I mean, it really depends on the facility too um, and what you have available to train those guys. Um, But I mean, overall, I mean, I'm pretty open to to anything. I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I've changed, you know, throughout the years, and this is the last, you know, the last time I progressed uh, in a job change, like when I came to Charlotte, I actually had an opportunity to meet the individual that I was taking over for, right. For the, the position. Cause I came here as an, an assistant with football. So, and he had baseball too. So I actually, you know, I came in, I talked to him, 
in, in uh, he explained the situation in aspects as far as what's going on. And I sat down and I'm like, Hey, if I, if I get this job, I'm like, I want you to program two months worth of training. And he's like, well, why, why do you want, don't you want to run your own stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to totally run your own stuff, but I don't want it to be a consistent, all of a sudden a, a total shock to the student athlete. Right. And, and I don't want training to totally decline. So if I come in and I totally come and, and do my own program, well, you're going to have some pushback, right? Cause the kids actually like this coach. Right. And they liked the, the coach that uh, the baseball coach liked the, the style of training that they did. And I'm like, I don't want to come in and totally change everything up. Cause then all of a sudden I'm the bad guy. Right. And all of a sudden you'll get some pushback from the kids, you know, performance may go down, you know, you're going to have to lower some of their weights down uh, to reteach some, educate some technique. And, and when you're dealing with the male ego, that's always an issue. Right. So my big thing is I want you to, you know, just give me two, two months and I'll slow, I'll slowly you know, run your program. And then I'll eventually fold some of my stuff into it. So that way it's so cohesive and it, it just, and then after about, you know, four or five months or a semester, I'll be running exactly what I run a run without any issues at all, if that makes sense. And, and I think that's what a lot of people do is, is there's this roller coaster effect, right? Like you come in, everybody's weights go down, training goes down because you have to reteach your philosophy. You have to put some pushback. Um, you know, you may put too much volume in, in the beginning because you're trying to, you know, instill your way on kids or whatnot. And then all of a sudden they raise and then all of a sudden you stay there for two years and you leave and then their training goes down again. And then it goes back up and goes back down. And I wanted to stay, you know, I wanted to be on an incline the entire time. And that's, you know, that's kind of exactly what happened is we had, all of a sudden we had more kids buy in, you know, they, they saw methodologies. I could see how they were squatting one way. Cause, uh, and then, you know, if I needed to manipulate things, I could change it uh, based off their mechanics, but things flowed really, really evenly. So I didn't come in and, and, you know, say, Hey, the other coach that was training with you did everything wrong. We're doing this my way. This is the way it's going to be. It was a slow progression. And all of a sudden, you know, kids bought in. We're like, Hey, this is, this is great. You know? So I think that was, you know, I didn't let my ego get a hold of me. Right. Like I didn't come in and go, Hey, this is the way it is. This is set in stone. I kind of just, you know, folded it in and it worked out really, really well. So I think I wish more coaches would do that. Um, I know that's not going to happen just for the fact that um, coaches want to do things their way, you know, as far as strength professionals, they see one way of doing things, but you have to really be multifaceted and understand different progressions and really think as the psyche of the athlete, um, you know, the athlete has so many things going on that if we totally, you know, if we, and, and a lot of athletes, you know, the weight room is home, right? Like it's the way it's, it's away from the practice field. It's a way they can get away from their social problems. It's, it's it. And all of a sudden, if we make that, um, inconsistent or not fun um all of a sudden now or not to say fun but not a good not a place where they want to be all of a sudden they don't feel like they have a place where they can really let everything out right so um that was that was the last thing you know and i've been doing that throughout the years and, and it's helped out really really well especially with this last transition from my last job to charlotte um coming in and, and you know that's why i try to communicate everywhere i go i try to communicate what the, the past coaches have done if they'll talk to you because some coaches won't talk to you when you come in but that kind of like builds on on what you need to do and, and and stuff like that and it's been very helpful so yeah absolutely I, I think uh importantly too sample size right you have to understand where you're what kind of weight room you're going into what athletes you have and there is no end all be all right you talked about it before 
um, you know, you'll have something planned and nothing is ever as it seems planned. Right. And that was always my issue with Olympic lifts, right. They're great. And, and they're great when you can, you know, you have people perform them the right way. But again, if you go into a weight room with not a lot of room and a lot of people, not a lot of time, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take six weeks out of my, you know, out of my programming. Cause you know, we, we already don't get enough time with them to teach snatches, cleans, right. all those things. So I think that is a big thing where people get stuck or they fall in love with Olympic lifting. And, you know, from my experience where I came from as an intern, cause you talked about how, you know, the coach of the Jaguars kind of changed your perspective because of what he had to deal with and the equipment. Mine was the same thing. I came from a background, Olympic Olympics, Olympic lift, Olympic lift. That's the end all be all of power. And then I went to another place and I learned every exercise again should have a point. We have limited time. So they should be getting our bang for our buck, right? The Vanderchuk, um, yep system and plyometrics and med ball throws are a lot safer you know we can do those in bigger bulk and you know we're going to get a lot more out of those things right not that there's nothing wrong with those olympic lifts but i i think that's a, it's a big thing that people you see it they get stuck yeah. right and then what happens is you're you're trying to teach it and i think there's just the pros and cons right risk to reward right what is it roi you know if you do that how much, you know, is it going to work? Yeah, for really athletic kids. And, you know, that's the thing. If you have a kid who's athletic, they can do anything and anything's going to work. You know, yep. they could do hammer curls and they're going to get stronger. I think that's where we lose. But, but what about the kid who's who's still developing, right? And then the, the transition phase two, I think it's good. You have to know if you come in as a new director, new strength coach, you have to still understand what the they used to do, right? right? Especially if they're coming off, a good season, right? Not an, or a bad season doesn't matter, but especially if you have pitchers that pitched well, the team did well, but now we have to make that kind of painful switch. We have to make sure that we're segueing into what, you know, they used to do, right? Because they have so much to deal with. And especially if you have a kid who maybe didn't do well, right? And then a new strength coach came and you started doing Olympic lifts or different stuff and they had the best season they've ever had. And then you're going to come in here and you're going to start to take things away. So I think that's a good, you know, piece of advice, that slow introduction of this is what I'm about. And then you, you kind of take it away, right? To your story, when I've done it before, I had a scenario, you know, the last time I was in college where I came in and it was all goblet squats, TRXs, you know, real, really base foundation stuff, right? Because the year before they were doing deadlifts and five by ones and all these things, but all year round. So they were giant, but not athletic, but they hit more home runs and their velo was up a little more. So that's all they care about. And, you know, there was some issues and some things. So all I did was, and if anybody's listening that from that team, I just changed the goblet squat into a barbell, right? And then we changed the TRX into a dumbbell and all of a sudden they were right back in it, but I was able to get what I wanted because they were like, well, there's kids making us do goblet squats with dumbbells and right. band curls. And this is dumb. Whereas, you know, as you let it go, but I think that's very important to not only don't get caught up in one thing and, and it's not, we're, we're not questioning ego here. It's, it makes you more successful, right. right? Because if you're always, this is what I do and this is all I can do. Everybody's not going to like it. Right. right? But also, if you can change, it allows the kids to, you know, become more comfortable. And I also think something that you, you talked about, too, 
people for some reason think that asking the athletes what they think of your workout is giving them too much power or you're giving it away when in reality, if you're confident in your abilities, right? And you're confident in everything that you say, it's not going to. Because I used to say it to my players all the time. If you have a problem with what we're doing, don't go tell the coach, right? right? Ask me because I have no problem sitting down with you and going through this. I know this is weird because most coaches don't want any part of an 18 year old kid explaining (laughs) to me what you think, but come to me. I said, if you sit me down and say your whole program is bullshit, that's fine. Then I'll try to explain to you why it's not. And and then we'll try to come up with some of your goals. But I think again, that's a problem because it's coach. Oh, you can't do that. You can't get close to the kids. You can't talk to them. And I'm like, yeah, but, if you're confident in your abilities, you should be able to explain this to anybody so the kids should understand, right? Obviously, if it becomes more of a problem, but just I think the moral of it is be educated and just know what you're doing, and then you're able to do those things. Because on the West Side Barbell thing, same thing with me, I was afraid of it initially, right. but then I realized that in season, it's fantastic because we're pumping up that serum testosterone. There is no shearing force due to the low numbers, and the kids love it, and you know, the injury rate goes out the window, right. you know, and, and I think those are things, but, but you get all oh, that's powerlifting. Oh, that's too dangerous. And I'm like, well, he's not wearing an oxygen mask in between sets, right. but we're, we're getting some power out there. So I think those are great points. And I, I think it's just the more understanding of your athletes you have, and the more confident you are in your abilities because of the experience, you know, we offer a better product and it's just better for everybody. You know, I, I never really, my biggest thing has always been, why do we keep, you know, holding our programs in a safe and why don't we want to talk and how come everybody on Instagram always wants to argue, right? Tell me what your philosophies are. If I don't explain them, make me understand them. And then that's it, right? It's not your stuff is better than mine. It's, it's a different way. Right. And, and I, I don't really understand why we're still stuck in that, but I also think that's because of the, you know, maybe the field, but, but it always bothers me. We should all be able to talk about everything, you know? And, and I think it's, it's a big thing too, the upper echelon coaches, they're a, they're, they talk about everything, right? right? It's always the ones that are on the fence that hide their stuff. Because all the ones, you know, and the ones you met, high profile right. ones will tell you everything. Yeah. Here's my entire life's work. Good luck, right? Yeah. And, and you know, and, and as you know, if, if you have a true philosophy like that, I could give you all my stuff. You couldn't use it like me because you and I, you know, from talking very similar, my program is made when the athletes walk in there. I sit them down and I talk to them. And as I start to hear what went on last night, or if we're tired, we slept, blah, blah, blah. That's how my program comes. Yes, I have an idea, but it's not set in stone. It's all based on how the athlete feels. Hey, if we're supposed to do three sets of 10 on deadlift, we have a kid that feels great and his numbers are going up. Let him, let him push a little bit. You know, I, I think that, that, I'm not understanding sample size and that this is what I have to do. Cause I typed it up on a piece of paper last night is, is what kind of gets people in trouble. No, hundred percent. I mean, you know, getting back to, to talking to athletes and, and uh, getting their opinion of your program. Yeah. That's something I ran into. Right. And, and, you know, I made, I made like, uh, you know, at the end of the semester each year, I'd give the athlete like a questionnaire to fill out. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, Hey, if you want to put your name on it, you can, if you don't want to, that's fine too. It doesn't matter to me, but I want you to be, as truthful as possible mm-hmm. uh, on this questionnaire, you know, so it, it would dealt with like, it dealt with like facilities, you know, facility maintenance is a facility. Does it have the, you know, equipment needed to train your sport? You know, is it the best facility you've seen? So it kind of dealt with, uh, you know, as far as like the, the whole 
you know, facility uh, upgrade aspect. And then it dealt with, uh, you know, what they thought of the program. Um, it dealt with, you know, what they thought of uh, the training. It even went in depth as far as did their sport coaching staff actually believe in the weight room and what we were doing in the weight room. So it actually questioned them on a lot of things. Um, and a lot of kids, you know, a lot of kids, you know, would flip the paper over and, and write more detailed stuff on the back, but that was the information I needed. So if I needed to, you know, if I needed to, to do something different or it gave me reassurance, right? Like it put me on the right track and said, Hey coach, you're doing everything. I, this is great. All these, you know, I could see that, you know, numerically all their numbers and their velo and everything was going up, but they felt it was, it, they were, they were bought in, right? Like the more, you know, those kids are bought in then the more, obviously the different training you could do, but then obviously, you know, you could do anything and they're going to follow that path. But then on the, on the hindsight, if it was something that you were missing, right? Like, um, you know, Hey, I want to train more days during the in season. I, you know, two days a week isn't enough. Then that's something you could always approach the coaching staff with or administration with and, and have something to go to bat bat with. Right. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, those, those are important things. And, and, you know, I think another thing is, 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 and I know this is a little bit off topic, but, you know, we take, a, we talk about philosophies or we talk about, you know, what we're doing and stuff like that. And a lot of people will go to other schools, right? Like if I'm at, you know, if I'm a, like, if I'm at Charlotte, right. And Charlotte is, uh, you know, they're part of conference USA, but then, you know, I want to go to ECU who's a baseball powerhouse mm-hmm. and see what they're doing. Um, uh, you know, that's fantastic. It doesn't mean that I can use what they're doing on, you know, that exact program with, with the team that I have, but it gives me some information. But what I usually do from my own personal perspective is I really, you know, I'll visit schools just to see from an administrative aspect, from a resource aspect, even from a training aspect, what they're doing. But Mm -hmm. I also visit, you know, individuals that are engaged in strength sports, right? Like your, your power lifters, your Olympic lifters that are just in town that, you know, there may be a training facility or whatnot. And I'll go visit to see what they're doing. Cause some of those people don't have formal education on how to train. Um, they don't, you know, they just kind of experiment themselves and all of a sudden they get really good results. So I'll go in, I'll, you know, I might train with them one day or I might go and go, Hey, I need to ask some questions. What are you doing for your training? Right? Like, what do you, how do you set your days up? You know, not that I'm training power lifters or I'm training Olympic weightlifters, but I'm getting the perspective from individuals on different sets, rep schemes, different exercises that they may find helpful. Uh, and I can bring that to my program. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's the thing too. It also builds some kind of camaraderie among the strength sports athletes. Um, and it, it's, it, it's, it's pretty cool too, because, you know, there are different things, you know, just like, uh, you know, the bow tie, Donnie Thompson makes a thing called the bow tie, right. It, it pulls your shoulders back and puts a glenohumeral joint in the correct posture. Uh, a lot of people aren't going to use that with their athletes because they think that, you know, it may, it may uh, affect some of their movement pro- aspects or whatnot. But, you know, we use that with some of our pitchers. We use that with some of our position players, especially individuals that have, uh, you know, their shoulders are really anteriorly rotated forward and it doesn't correct that movement, but it puts them in a proper position. So um, there is an irritation, right? So um, those are things, you know, you can pick up from uh, just different training aspects that you can pick up from your local, you know, your local bro gym or your local power lifter or, or lifter that are actually helpful rather than just being, you know, straight from the book um, kind of terminology, right? So 
Um, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people lose track that if, if someone invented, if that person's a powerlifter and they invented it, that's just for powerlifting. No, it can be used to your imagination, however you want to use it. It can't just be, you know, stuck in one system, right? So. Yeah, no, of, of course. And I, I think that's a good thing with, uh, you know, it goes back to try to get, you know, don't ever write anything off, right? right. Because I remember the same, you know, going back to Louis Simmons, I was like, oh, he's a powerlifting guy, right? And you right. don't think that he goes anywhere else, but then you start to listen to him and you're like, well, this guy solved solved the problem, if you will, right? I, I'm not, you know, favoring, but but with a, in terms of developing force production and all that stuff, I think he's he's figured it out, you know? And and I think the only sort you know, any issue just personally for me is like how to how to fit in his stuff within your kind of block periodization. But I I, I think that it was, you know, it's like a gem that you would have missed, right? If you were like, oh, he's just a power lifter, right? But if you listen to the podcast, the information, you read the books, right? Because the books he talks about are the ones that everybody says as a strength coach, these are musts, right? Vert Pachonsky and, and you know, uh, super training and all that stuff. It's brilliant, you know, and especially with the time schemes, you know, where he talks about, you know, 35 second, uh, you know, the clock and how long we're doing things for and kind of manipulating your training for that. And I think that's a great, Great idea, but but I think that's great. Something you brought up, right? Even if somebody doesn't train, go talk to them, right? Go kind of figure out. I got into I don't know if you see, but the, the knees over toes guy, right? And the the different movements, not because I believe in all of it, but there is a lot of aspects in there, you know, especially with sports with ankle injuries and different things, where he has exercises that address many of the things that we don't, you know, maybe you don't have an answer to, right? You have a kid that has knee pain all the time. So we're just supposed to not have them do this, right? I think there's a misconception where people take out exercises because they think they cause injuries or strength coaches, you know, they they take away movements or they try to force movements on people, right? right? Why well, a bad knees? I can't squat. Well, that's because somebody told you that. But the other thing is, oh, well, then he doesn't squat, right? In reality, it's okay, but can we lunge? You know, can we put a band around the knee? Can we do certain things? I think... It's, you know, we get lost in everybody can do every move. We just have to figure out a why, right? We have to get the confidence back, right? I, I'm sure you've dealt with this because I think everybody has where you'll get a team or a group of people that did deadlifts a lot and they get low back pain, right? And for an entire season or whatever, they're in constant pain and discomfort. So they never want to do deadlifts again because they identify deadlifts with low back. And then now you have now we have to start from scratch. We have to talk to them, you know, not but we have to do things that we would have avoided because now they're terrified of deadlifts. And then right. you have to listen, I swear that we're not going to, this is going to, but the point of it is we're kind of limiting how far we can get them and how much, uh, how much they can get out of the exercise because they're afraid of it. Right. So I think it's always important to, again, understand your athletes, but also don't discount anybody's stuff because there might be stuff. I used to be that way when I was younger. Oh, this is garbage. Oh, that's crap. This is, you know, why are they doing that? This guy's an idiot. And then you get to see, and I think that that's important. Now, I also think though that social media causes a problem with that because you have a guy who's, you know, doing a hula hoop with, you know, box jumps at the same time. And then you ask him why he does it and then he gets aggravated, right? And I think that's where there's, you know, followers mean knowledge somehow right or the amount of people that watch my videos or how cool it looks means followers right and i think that's one of the problems where the drill has to be cool and innovative if people don't care because if you know and as much as i do if i went on instagram every day and put up 
perfect, you know, barbell rows and perfect deadlifts and perfect plyo jumps at 36 inches. Nobody cares. Right. But if I'm running across my gym, jumping on a 70 inch box and almost break my face. Now everybody wants to train with me. Right. Because that means a certain thing. So I think that, you know, bringing that, that up, you know, don't discount exercise, but I, I think that's, that's kind of where we are right now as a, as an industry, because likes is, you know, crazy stuff gets likes and stuff that works is, you know, it's very hard because you have a kid that comes in, even at this point, you'll have kids that get results and they still want, you know, oh, I went from 80 to 85. Well, why I'm not throwing 90. Right? right. And then you get on the other side, then you get, you know, Bryce Harper or, you know, Tyler Glass. Now they post their workouts and I'm like, well, they could do anything under the sun and they would get better. So I don't know why we're watching, you know, why this person does that. Yeah, people, I mean, the pe people don't understand that. I mean, just like you said, they can do the same thing with, you know, you know, large, you know, power five, you know, some, some athletes in the power five aspect. I mean, you can do any program you want to. Yeah. They're going to recover better. They're going to adapt better. I mean, that's why they're at the level they're at, right? Like mm -hmm. if I have, if I have my D3 football player, you know, if I, we go through a heavy squat session, it may take him a lot longer to, to recover from it. He may not get, you know, the benefit as, as, you know, another athlete or whatnot. I mean, you see it across the board. I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, social media has really caused some problems with, you know, the thing is, is still people, I, th I think everything's going to go full circle. Like everything mm -hmm. does. I mean, it is what it is. We've had these issues for in social media and, and you know, crazy workouts for years. Right. The, the thing is, you just have to ed, try to educate people, try to lead them in the right direction, use sound principles. And uh, eventually people will, you know, especially your athletes, they'll eventually, you know, individuals are, you know, athletes are a lot, a lot more keen on some things nowadays mm -hmm. than they ever, ever are uh, or ever were. And they can see through, they can see through a lot. So, you know, some people will be like, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And you're like, well, you know, keep watching, keep continuing, you know, following this individual and then seeing in two months, if they're still doing that stuff, or if, you know, an injury pops up or if they're even on social media anymore. Right. So um, you just, all you can do is really, you know, give them sound principles and hopefully they listen and they eventually follow. I mean, it is what it is. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, like you said, full circle, most of those people online, if you have a million followers, let's just say, you're not going to hire that person to come into a college because they're going to be shot. And I think that's where it is. Our core value still relies in how we get along with our athletes, how we talk to our athletes and how we're able to, uh, you know, relay the stuff, but also create that camaraderie. Right. And I think that's the other thing. Also, uh, I think we're, we're a lot better at kind of changing with the, what happens, right. We could bring up COVID cause it's the blaring thing in the room, but learning how to train online. Right. I think that for me, because of my experience has helped me because I can't physically point to things or whatever. And I actually enjoy it. And it's not a big deal for me where other people are like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever done. And I'm like, well, I understand, but it's something I have to do. So to your point, I think that will always be a thing, right? The more knowledge we have, the more understanding we have and the better we get at, you know, being able to explain, you know, for auditory or visual or whatever kind of athlete we have, at relaying each of those things instead of saying this is the only way I do things and not being receptive or, or uh, you know, being having conflict with changing your ways. I think that just makes us better. Right. No, you know. for sure. Uh, so I just want to, what would be, uh, you know, you did touch a, a lot of great stuff. What would be a piece of advice for anybody that's getting into the field, uh, you know, right now, what would be, you know, your top one or two 
uh, just to give them as a as something to uh, you know really concentrate on. Yeah, I think I mean the big thing is is obviously I think we touched a little bit earlier on it is just you know who you who you choose as a mentor is pretty much gonna follow you for the rest of your career, right? Mm-hmm. So really do your education. Um, just don't chase the logo, but really do your education on the coach and how they are as a person mm-hmm. uh, and see how staff members, maybe uh, if there's a lot of staff members leaving for other jobs or is there continuity within the staff? Like those are things you need to look at. So really, you know, find a good mentor. Um, and it really depends on the area that you really want to get into. You know, if you know that you want to open a facility, then find somebody that has a facility and that is successful, right? That's had, you know, um, find somebody that, you know, if you want to be in college, find somebody from that realm. If you want to find somebody that, uh, professional, you know, find that realm. So really know your niche and it's going to take some time to do that. Just, just, just don't jump on the first one. Um, you know, another thing is, is train, you know, like be there, do things, um, work out, be active, know how to demo stuff correctly. Like, uh, build an arsenal of exercises that you're comfortable with. Like, be, be on the, you know, I think everybody like trains, but they really don't know why they do certain movements mm-hmm. or whatnot. I mean, have an arsenal of exercise, like exercise library and just write it out. That way you're ahead of the game before anybody else, you know? Um, I think that's an important thing. And, and if you're, you know, you know, sometimes I tell people to try to compete in something, you know, whether it's Olympic weightlifting or whether it's powerlifting or whether it's Highland games or something like something that's going to keep you motivated to keep training right or try different training modalities i mean i think that's i think that's huge um and i think the last one and you know most of the stuff has nothing to do with programming or anything like that i think the last one is is uh have a backup plan you know like what do you you know what is gonna you know if you work a certain aspect or work a certain career and there is a little bit of time off like in between jobs or something what is another project that you can do? You know, like, just like you talked about online, online training, um, a website, um, you know, learning, uh, you know, working at, at, you know, trying to learn Python so you can create dashboards. Like what can you do extra to make, you know, your situation a little bit better. And the big thing, you know, and also what are you going to do when, uh, you know, you maybe move out of the career. What's the next phase, you know, like always have a backup plan on what's going on. I mean, there's, I think, you know, Joe Ken has re- recently talked about a lot of stuff as far as, you know, the only person that's really going to take care of you or watch out for you is you, you yeah, know, yeah, like that's the only person. Yes. So, so mm-hmm. that's the thing is like what, you know, you know, everybody follow, everybody kind of, everybody wants to measure themselves on other people's careers. Like, Oh, well, this person's there. So I need mm-hmm. to be here or, you know, no, that's not the case. You know, you have to do what makes you happy or whatnot, but you definitely have to have a backup plan and really have to, you know, look towards the future of, of what's going on because, um, you know, college athletics, even professional athletics, uh, well, even, even with the, the chance of COVID, I mean, when COVID happened, anything, doing anything physical mm-hmm. uh, changed. And a lot of people, you know, had to change careers because they couldn't do anything. They couldn't coach. They couldn't be in person with individuals. They could just do stuff off, offline. And now within the, the, the college set, you know, college aspect, even high school and professional, things are going to evolve in that scope too um, with a lot of different changes in administration policies and stuff like that. So the biggest thing is, you know, try to have a backup plan. So, I mean, those are the big thing, you know, network, 
always train and have a backup plan. Those are my big three things. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, coaching in general. It has nothing to do with philosophy. It has nothing to do with sets and reps or exercises. Uh, those are just some really basic things. So, yeah, uh, great advice. Like I said, and, and I, I noticed a trend with that. Uh, Bill, you know, Joe Ken talked about it, and then Bill Gillespie said the same thing. Uh, you know, just you know, find something else. You know, always have something. Always you're working on. I think that's great because. You know, I wish it was different, but we don't sign 20 year contracts, you know, or uh, and, you know, you could have all the confidence in the world by with your AD, your coaches, and all of a sudden it might, you know, uh, go out because, you know, I, I feel like it happens a lot, too. It's like getting a new toy or something. Right. You get there as a coach. Um, you know, everything is great. And then little by little or slowly by, you know, little by little or as we go along. Um, you know, they start to lose favor or some stuff happens and then you're gone, you know, and not that it's anybody's fault. But at the same time, I think that's something that uh, happens a lot. No, 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, just for um, reference, if anybody wants to reach you, get a hold of you, uh, ask you more questions, where's the best place to uh, get a hold of you and, and kind of reach out? Yeah. I mean, um, any social media, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Instagram handle is, uh, I don't know, go coach, coach JG Patrick, I believe. Um, you know, anything like that email address, you can email me JG Patrick, number 13 at gmail.com. That's an easy email address, but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. So yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions, talk shop, uh, whatever, whatever I can do to help somebody out. So, all right. Well, uh, I will definitely put the Instagram, uh, on there. Um, when I post the post on Instagram and then again on LinkedIn, when I put the post up, I'll be sure to tag you and put that stuff in there. So anybody out there listening, uh, can get a hold of you, ask you questions. Uh, John, I appreciate it. Uh, awesome conversation. I appreciate all the insight and, and I think, you know, we got a lot of info out there, but I, I just really appreciate you kind of sharing your story and, and sharing everything that you've been through. No, I appreciate it also. I mean, it's, it's an honor to be on the show. I think, just like you said, the reason you started this podcast, just to, to talk to some coaches and really, you know, get out there and network. And I think that's why a lot of people are on these too, is just to tell their story and, and try to be a resource for people, right? Like, um, that, I think that's the biggest thing is really trying to help people and uh, try to guide them through um, that, those career, you know, aspects. Everybody's made a lot of mistakes, but the more we can help people out and, and guide them through there by learning from our mistakes is huge. So anyway, I can help anybody out. Uh, I'd be more than happy to. Awesome. Well, thank you. And, and like I said, I'll, we'll get it out there. We'll, uh, you know, promote it. And, and hopefully uh, everybody listening gets some stuff out of it. And, and again, thank you for coming on. No problem. Thank you.